Open your Bibles, if you would, uh, to, let's see, where are we going to go? We're going to go to Romans chapter 8. We're going to have it on the screen as well. It's one of those verses that has kind of stuck with us through this whole uh, series, but today we are on part number four. Uh, you are called. You are called. God has called all of us uh, to something that I believe is very, very, very wonderful, and many times we miss out on it because we don't understand it. So we're going to try to make sense out of a couple of things this morning. So let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for the opportunity that you've given us. Father, we just take a hold of this word. And this is what I pray, Father, that it will impact our lives through the power of your Holy Spirit, the anointing of your Spirit. Father, open our ears to hear, open our hearts to receive, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we went through week number one, uh, week number two, week number three, and now we're at four about living out our calling, living our calling. What on earth are we here for? Part of our spiritual growth campaign. We looked at our first calling in life, which is basically just to sit down and be loved by God. Folks, God wants to love on you. But so often we find ourselves, you know, running so fast and maneuvering out from underneath the love of God. He's called you to be loved. He wants you to let him do something to you. Let God love you. That's the bedrock of everything that happens in our lives. It's just simply allowing God to love us. You've got to learn how to be loved by God. You were created by him so that he could love you. You were called to be loved. Last week, we looked at the second calling in our lives, and that's called to belong. You weren't made to go through life on your own. He designed you. He made you to belong to a family, and that family is called the church, the family of God. So whenever you be loved, that's my own terminology, whenever you be loved and whenever you belong, <laughs> I thought that was so clever, then you can move to that, do you get that one? Whenever you be loved, okay, I'm sorry. You can move on to the third calling, which we're going to explore this morning. You are called to become. You're called to become. These are actually building blocks. One builds on the other, one on top of the other. You can't become the person that God wants you to be unless you are beloved and belong. I love that. I just thought it was clever. Wasn't so clever. Okay. You see, it's only whenever we find ourselves being loved and we find ourselves belonging that we are able to move on to this third step, and that is to become. Whenever you were a child, I'm sure that as probably all of us at one time in our lives, we wanted to become something. We looked forward in our lives and said, you know, I'm going to be a surgeon. I'm going to be a doctor. Or a, I mean, a, a fireman or a policeman or something. All of us had something that we probably were striving towards at one time or another. One of my sons, whenever he was growing up, he, from one week to the next, he wanted to be a fisherman, then he wanted to be a pro hunter, and then he wanted to be an ice skater. I don't think that happened. But anyway, we, we oftentimes miss out, though, on all of these things we wanted to become whenever we were young. I had a little girl one time come up to me and said, I'm going to be a missionary in China. She was 11 years old. And sure enough, that little girl became a missionary in China. So this morning, what is a calling? Called to become. A calling is the same thing as a purpose. God basically has five purposes for our lives, five reasons that he created us, five assignments that he's given us, five missions, if you would, for our lives. The callings of God 
are his purposes for our lives. The Bible tells us that the word calling, at least the, the word calling at least 10 times more often is used than the word purpose. So calling is there over and over and over again. Purpose is used a few times, but that word calling is something we got to get inside of us. It's the same as his purpose for our life. One of the theme verses that I talked about a couple of times already is, is in this living out our calling is God's purpose for our life is Romans 8, 28 and 29. And so I want to go back to that this morning because I believe that that scripture really has huge significance as these messages play out. So this is what it says. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God. Our lives aren't always going to produce good stuff. Amen? I don't know if you've lived on this planet long enough to experience some real bitter things in your mouth. It's not all going to be good. But God says even the stuff that's not good, He can cause everything to work together for the good of those who love God. It's not good, but he can make it work for our good. And I've seen that time and time again. So to those who love God and are called, there's that word. He's called according to his purpose. There's another word right there that we're going to focus in this morning. His purpose for them. Calling and remember, calling and purpose go together. Your calling in life is your purpose in life. For God knew his people in advance, so that's why these callings are there. That's why these purposes are there. Before you were even born, God knew you. He thought you up. Now think about that for a minute. That's a powerful statement. God thought you up. Have y'all ever thunk up something? Anybody besides me? So often whenever I'm quiet, sitting there next to my wife, I, a lot of times she'll look at me and she goes, what are you doing? I go, I'm not doing nothing. I'm just sitting here. I'm just, I'm, I tell her I'm being a vegetable. I said, kind of like an onion or a potato or something. I'm just sitting on the couch. She said, nope, you're doing something. Well, what she's really telling me is I'm thunking something up. God thought you up. You were his idea. You weren't an accident. For God knew his people in advance. That's what the scripture says. And he chose them to become like his son. It's talking about Jesus. Become like his son. That's your third calling, is to be like Jesus. So once you get into God's family, God wants you to grow up, and he wants you to become like your older brother, Jesus. Man, I had an older brother that I was always trying to live up to. I don't remember if my parents ever told me out loud, why can't you be like your older brother? but I know they thought it. Anybody, the baby of the family, second child, third child, eighth child, and you had somebody that you're always having to live up to? Well, whenever we enter into God's family, we got somebody great to live up to, amen? And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He chose them to become like his son. So that son, Jesus Christ, would be the firstborn with many brothers and sisters. So what does that mean? You're not going to be like a God. You're not going to be like Jesus is a, you know, omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient God. You're not going to be this little mini me God, but God wants us to become godly. Amen. He wants us to become like his brother. He wants, like our brother, he wants to take 
us to take on the characteristics that his family, like father, like son, that's what he wants us to be. The Bible says that God is loving, that God is joyful, that God is peaceful, patient, God is kind. The Bible tells us that God is self-controlled and, and God is merciful. These are a picture of what Jesus was like whenever he was here on this earth, amen. Can you imagine Jesus ever saying something that wasn't kind, Amen. He said a lot of things to those people that were in religious power in that day. But folks, I got to be honest with you. They were, they were kind things because he was trying to change their minds. Amen. If you're going to become like Jesus, it means you're going to be filled with love and you're going to be filled with joy, filled with peace, filled with patience. And probably everybody in this room has got all them things mastered already. Amen. Boy, that was a weak amen. I mean, is there times in your life whenever you don't have all the joy that you probably need to have or peace that you need to have? I mean, this whole year, 2020, has been filled with that unrest and that, 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 that stability that we once knew is completely gone. But yet, can we still have peace in the middle of it? Well, of course we can, because that's what Jesus, no matter what comes in front of Jesus, he's always got peace. Patience? How long should I talk about this one? Be patient with me as I talk about it for a long time. I mean, y'all got all the patience you need? You see, folks, what he wants us to do is become like Jesus. Jesus is patient. And I will tell you, I am first in line to tell you that Jesus is patient. He has been patient with me for 40 years. Amen? 40 years of doing corn-headed stuff after I got born again. He's patient. So our first calling is to be loved by God. Our second calling is to belong to God through his family. Our third is to become like Jesus. These five callings have an order. They're building blocks, as I said a moment ago. Five times in the Bible, it compares becoming like Jesus to running a race. So the Bible tells us to become like Jesus is kind of like running a race. It's the race of life. And let me just make sure we got this. Life is not a 50-yard dash. And you say, well, why didn't you use 100? Because I couldn't run 100 in a dash. I almost used a 10-yard dash, but I felt like you would laugh at me. Life is not a 50-yard dash. Life is a marathon. You are running this race right now, whether you realize it or not, and your goal is become the woman, it's become the man of God that God wants you to be. This is your third calling in life, to be what God made you to become. So what I want to do today is I want to take these five passages of the Bible where it compares life to a race and compare becoming who God wants you to be to this race and draw out several principles that I think we, we can be very benefited by if we learn them. So this is how you get where God wants you to be. God doesn't want you to stay the same. He doesn't want you to be in spiritual diapers all your life. Man, spiritual diapers, they stink up the whole church. He wants us to grow up. Amen? He wants us to grow up. So how do I become, because he wants us to become, how do I become what God has called me to be? So we're running a marathon. And this marathon, we start the beginning of the marathon, and we're babes in Christ. I started the beginning of my marathon back in 1980, and I was a babe in Christ. But I have pressed on for the last 40 years to what? The Bible says is maturity. We move from 
the beginning of our salvation experience towards maturity. Number one point here, not necessarily importance, but this is the number one point. We got to simplify our lives. I believe that the enemy has done everything in his power to complicate our lives. I've got to cut things out of my life. I've got to clean things out. I've got to discard some junk that's holding me back from becoming the person that God's called me to be. Clean out the clutter. The clutter in our minds. The clutter in our schedules. The clutter in our relationship. We've got to get rid of unnecessary baggage. We've got to eliminate diversions and distractions and detours. We've got to eliminate time wasters. We've got to simplify our lives. So Hebrews 12.1 says this. It says, let us, now remember, they're talking about a race here, okay? So let us strip off anything that slows us down or holds us back, and especially those sins that wrap themselves so tightly around our feet and trip us up, and let us run with patience the particular race that God has set before us. Let us strip off anything that slows us down or holds us back, anything that word in the Greek is oikos, and it means weight, to strip it off. How many of you have ever seen the Olympic runners out there? They don't run with a lot of clothes on, amen? They strip down to literally stuff I would never wear and stuff you would never want me to wear, amen? They're not going to be out there running with a you know, heavyweight parka on and you know, military combat boots. Those shoes they wear are little bitty light things. Why? Because they're getting rid of all the weight so as they can run the best race that they can run. Simply means getting rid of the burdens, getting rid of the bulky stuff, sometimes the heavy things that hold us back. It says, let us strip off anything that slows us down or holds us back, especially those sins that wrap themselves so tightly around our feet and trip us up. Anybody ever had that happen to you? A sin that tripped you up? Amen. I will say that over and over again. Probably everybody in this room has had that happen. Let us run with patience, the particular race that God has set before us. That particular race, God has a particular race for you, for your life, and he wants you to run it. Mom can't run your life for you. Dad can't run your life for you. So many times as parents, we have aspirations for our kids. We, we want them to grow up to be something, and so sometimes we try to conform them into what we want them to be. Amen? Boy. That was weak. You know it happens, though. You know that there's dads that push their kids into sports and moms that push their kids into being cheerleaders and ballerinas and dads that push their kids into learning all the math so that they can be a great sign. We, we do it all the time so that we can live vicariously through our kids' lives. We didn't make it, but maybe our kids will. Yeah. Plus, if they get rich, maybe they'll remember me when they live. God has set a particular race for each one of us. Mom can't run it. Dad can't run it. Our boyfriends can't run it. Someone else cannot run the race that God has called us. We are the only ones that can run our race. And by the way, we can't run anybody else's race for them either. We've got to decide this. Whose race is am I going to run? The vast majority of people out there, they are running their own race. Hello? 
Some are running a race that somebody else wants them to run. But we got to make a decision. I'm going to run the race that God created me to run. My mom swears up and down this is true, but she says whenever I was a little kid, I used to go around and say stuff like this. I'm never going to grow up to be a preacher. I have no idea if I said that or not. She swears by it, but I swear I was adopted, so I don't know. My wife swore up and down she would never marry a preacher, and I'll be. She married a preacher. I became a preacher, so I don't know. Somewhere along the line, we have to just be, become the person that decides this is my race that God has called me to, and I'm going to run this particular race because that's what he wants for me. That's the race he's designed for us, and that's the race we want to run. We got to make a decision. God, I'm going to strip off everything that slows me down, the sins that mess me up, I'm going to take a moral inventory of my life and I'm going to get the junk out of my life. I'm going to get the weights out of my life that are slowing me down, the things that are holding me back, those habits. Folks, so many of us have habits and hurts and hang-ups that hold us back and I've got to let go of those things so I am able to run that race. It says what? It says let us strip off anything that holds us back. So what's holding you back this morning from your race? What do you need to let go of? What do you need to drop? Are you too busy for God? Because I've heard that so many times as a pastor, I want to throw up. I'm serious. People say, we're too busy for God. What if God was too busy for us? You'd quit breathing. Come on. I mean, life cannot get too busy for God. We just, we can't, that's just not even a valid excuse. What weights do we we have? Because God doesn't want us running this marathon in a parka. We need to strip down. We don't need to be carrying any kind of extra baggage. We got to take a moral inventory. We got to take a moral inventory because if there are sins that are holding us back, we need to get rid of those sins. And we can't let others' expectations determine how we're going to run this race. It's God and God alone that has created us to run this particular race, and we got to race, we got to run that race. We got to strip off down to the bare minimum. And whenever you do that, you're saying, God, I am ready to become that man, that woman, that young person that you've called me to be. The first step is to simplify your life. Second step is this don't get impatient or in a hurry. And now I could just skip this one because all of us in this room have never, ever been that way. Amen? I'm never impatient. I'm never in a hurry. <laughs> okay. I, I am most days. Okay. This race that we're talking about is going to take your entire life. You're not going to finish it in a week. You're not going to finish it in a month or next year. God's plan is to make you the person that he wants you to be over a whole lifetime. A whole lifetime. It's going to take your entire life, and you just can't run the race quickly. Like I said, It's not a short 50-yard dash. It's a marathon, so don't get impatient. What happens a lot of times is people start this race and they make a common mistake. They don't pace themselves. Y'all know in marathons, people pace themselves. They sat out on the race and they know not to spend too much energy at the start, amen, because they won't have energy for the finish. And so what we got to do is just say, listen, we're going to be patient 
And we're going to work through these things one at a time, and we're going to become what God has called us to become. Champions know how to pace themselves. Hebrews 12.1, and this is the very first part of it, it says, let us run with patience the particular race that God has set before us. There's no instant maturity. Man, I would love that. If you could come into my office and I could give you some kind of pill that would do instant maturity, believe me, I'd stick some of it down many of our throats. <laughs> I knew I shouldn't have said that. There's no pill. There's no instant maturity. It takes time. And understand this. God is never in a hurry. Whenever God makes a mushroom, it takes like six hours. But whenever God makes an oak tree, it takes 60, 80, 100 years. Are you all there with me? A mushroom or an oak tree, I kind of want to be an oak tree. Amen? I, I want my life to be deeply rooted and strong and stable and secure. Whenever the winds of life come along and they begin to beat on my life, I want to be able to stand against the problems and the pressures and the sufferings and the sorrows and the scandals and the losses of life. And I can't do that if I'm a mushroom. I can show you how to become a man of God. I've been in the ministry long enough I can show you how to become a man of God. I can teach you how to become a woman of God. But I can't teach you how to do it quickly. Man, I'd love to do that. Just have a course you could do three or four days, a couple Saturday mornings, and you're there. Unfortunately, i got to share this with you. It's going to take your whole life. You spell maturity T-I-M-E. You see, becoming, as the scripture said, becoming, it implies progression. It's not about overnight. There's, there's a lot of steps in this race. Anybody got one of them counters where you count your steps every day? Man, I've had people come and tell me they have like 10,000 steps a day. And I go, so? I had five. 10,000 steps. I wonder how many steps someone would log if they came from a place of being a child in Jesus Christ to a place of maturity. I don't know, but I will say this. It's a lot of steps. The third thing, third point that I want to focus on this morning is this. If you're going to become, you got to learn to spend time focusing on who it is that you want to become you got to spend time focusing on Jesus. And I believe you need to spend time every day. We become like those that we spend the most time with. Amen? Whenever my wife and I first got married, we were she was so nice and she was so polite. She was so calm. And man, I changed that. My whole life kind of revolves around being honored to her. And now... She tries to be ornery to me. And I tell her, I said, you are just a rookie at this. I'm a professional. You don't need to be doing this. You know why my wife is like that to me? Because she spent so much time with me, she acts like me. I have to spend time with Jesus every day. And I'm not talking about, you know, five hours or 10 hours. 
Folks, if you're not there, you need to start with just five minutes or 10 minutes or 15 minutes every time, every day, but spend some time focusing on Jesus every day. And you say, well, why do I need to spend time uh, uh, focusing on Jesus? You need, to, you need to focus your thoughts, your mind on Jesus, because whatever that you want to become, you need to think about it. You need to think about it. If you want to become like Jesus, you need to think about Jesus. Here's what the Bible says in Hebrews 12, 2. It says, we do this, in other words, we run this race of life by keeping our eyes on Jesus. What does that mean? Focusing on Jesus every day, on whom our faith depends from the start to finish. You can't become like Jesus unless you spend time with him. Like the old cliche, you can't soar with eagles if you run with turkeys, thank you. One person knew it. Spend time with Jesus every day. I encourage you to find that favorite spot, some place that you go to spend time with Jesus. It could be at your kitchen table. It could be in your living room, sitting on the sofa. I don't know, some place. Whenever I first moved to Montana, my favorite place was out at the rifle range that overlooked the dump. And I'd go out there and I'd pray over the community. I could see the whole community whenever I was there in Montana. And it was was a great place for me to go. Now, in the wintertime, you had to keep the truck running all the time. Otherwise, you froze to death. But it it was okay. You need to choose that special place where you meet God every day. And the more time that you spend reading the Bible and studying about Jesus, the more you're going to learn about His love, the more you're going to learn about His patience and His peace, the more you're going to learn about the character of Jesus that He wants you to possess in your life. The more time that you spend, the more that you will change. Moses during his lifetime, he found himself up on the mountain literally in God's presence. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, all of us have had a veil removed so that we can be mirrors that brightly reflect the glory of the Lord. And as the Spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like Him and reflect His glory even more. Moses spent so much time up on the mountain, in I mean, in God's presence, that when he came off the mountain, he glowed. His face literally shined like the sun. And I mean, everybody down on the bottom of the mountain, they're all scared of him, man. Oh, good grief. And so Moses covered his face with a veil. Moses spent so much time in front of God that he began to glow like God. Hoo-yah. We can be mirrors that brightly reflect the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord works in us. We become more and more like Him. We should be like Jesus. We're good at being like Jesus at church. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Let's sing loud. Let's sing long. Oh, I love this. But man, a lot of times whenever we get home, I think one of the biggest deterrents to young people that go on from having a literally a life in church and they go on to uh, educating after high school or go out to find a job or whatever, many, many, many of those fall away from the kingdom. They fall away from the habit of going to church. And I think one of the reasons is, is because their moms and dads leave, live a different life at church than they do at home. I'm just saying... Moms and dads just come and say, oh, hallelujah, praise the God. And whenever they get home, they're cussing and fighting and spitting and biting. If we're in the presence of Jesus, 
the more we're in the presence of Jesus, the more we're going to act like him. And he doesn't want us cussing, spitting, fighting, and biting whenever we get home. Amen? More and more, this sequential development process, one precept after another. The fourth thing that I want to remind us of this morning is this. When life gets hard, because it will, because we're trying to become, and we're moving through this race, we're running. Anybody ever been in a race whenever your side starts hurting? I haven't. But anyway... uh, I just never seen any reason to run. <laughs> I just, uh, I just, uh... life is going to, this marathon that we're running, man, there's going to be cramps, there's going to be pains, there's going to be things that happen that gives us this, this discomfort. But whenever life gets hard, we've got to remember the, the reward. The goal for God is to make you the man or you the woman that he wants you to be, the, the young person that he wants you to be. It's a life time process. And again, it's not that 50-yard dash. So you're going to go through a lot of problems. You're going to have a lot of pressures, a lot of trials, a lot of difficulties in your life. But God's going to use all of those things to make you more like Jesus. So the next time that you start to ask, oh God, why is this happening to me? Has anybody ever asked that before? Like whenever you got that real bad pain in your side, whenever you're running the marathon and you know, you go, oh, oh, oh. I had that bad pain one time whenever I was eating tamales, but that's the only time. But you get in that position in your life where you're crying out, you go, good grief, God, why is this happening? You got to realize that God wants to use whatever it is that you're going through to build your character, to build your attitude, God wants to make you like Jesus Christ. So whenever we get into those positions, whenever we're saying why, 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 maybe we should be saying what instead. Instead of why, say, God, okay, what do you want me to learn from this? Because this is what I found out. If you get into a situation once and you don't learn anything from it, you're probably going to get into it again. Amen? If you don't learn anything that second time, you'll probably get into it a third time. Does this resonate with anybody besides myself? Amen? Because I've been a knucklehead too many times, and I just go through it over and over again. Instead, I should be praying, God, what do you want me to learn from this situation? Because I really don't want to go through it again. I want to learn. God, tell me what I need to learn. So don't be surprised whenever there's problems that are part of the process of becoming. In Hebrews 12, 2 and 3, it says this, Jesus did not give up because of the cross. On the contrary, because of the joy that was waiting for him, he thought nothing of the disgrace of dying on the cross. And he now, and he is now seated to the right side of God's throne, thinking of what he went through, how we how he put up with so much hatred from sinners. So do not let yourselves become discouraged and give up. This is part of the plan, folks. The problems are part of the plans. And so we can't give up. Jesus Jesus was facing the cross, but he looked across this chasm and he seen what the joy that that cross was going to bring. He seen his brothers and sisters coming to the Lord. Amen? Seen it. Anybody ever get discouraged along this marathon, this race? 
Yeah. I've got discouraged so many times I can't tell you, but I will, I will, I will, I will, I will say this so as that we all are on the same sheet. Discouragement is a choice. I used to think I had a temper and I inherited it from my parents and their parents and their parents' parents. Are y'all there? I thought I had it. It was DNA woven in me. But then I figured out one day that temper is not a choice. I mean, it's, it's not inher- inherited. It's a choice. You choose to get mad. Things don't make you mad. You just get mad. Discouragement. Things don't discourage you. You choose to be discouraged. 1 Peter 5.10 says, After you suffer for a short time, God, who gives all grace, will make everything right. He will make you strong and support you and keep you from falling. He called you to share in his glory and the glory that will continue forever. God doesn't promise an easy life on this earth, but he does promise this. He promises a reward. So whenever life gets tough and you've got that feeling of discouragement coming, you go need to say, whoa, baby, I'll tell you what, I'm closer now to heaven than I've ever been. And one of these days, I'm going to step over that threshold and I am going to be in the glorious presence of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God that takes away to the sin of the world, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. I'm going to stand in his presence. Man, I'm telling you, that'll revive your spirit right there. I'm going to live forever in a mansion that he has built for me. Woo! Okay, I'm the only one going to get excited, but I'm excited about that. You know what that'll do? That'll cause discouragement to run right out the front door. Heaven is our promised reward. Rewards of being a, a faithful servant of Jesus Christ. In Romans 8, 17, it says, Since we are his children, we will share his treasures. For everything God gives to his son Christ is ours too. But if we are to share in his glory, we must also share his sufferings. Did y'all hear that? We're going to get it. We have short-term problems on earth for long-term glory in heaven. The fifth thing that I want to remind you of is this. Gather a team to run with you. We're running this marathon. Gather a team up to run with you. It's your race, but you need others that will run it with you. There's an old African proverb that says, to run, to, to run fast, run by yourself. But to run far, run with other people. Man, that's good. We could preach that this morning and it would be good. At different stages of your life, you're going to have different people running with you. You have people, different people helping you and encouraging you and supporting you. Right now, many of you in this room are involved in a group of people that are going to help you get down the road in this marathon race. It's called a small group. Amen? I've been a part of small groups. Small groups have blessed my life over the years. We're, we, we need other people to run this race with us. In Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, it says, let us consider how many or how we may spur one another towards the love and the good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another as you see the day approaching. This is a, this is a scripture that tells us, man, we need to meet together. We need to gather together. We need to encourage one another. We need to help one another. And as that day approaches, we need to meet all the more. You know, I think it would be good if we had church every, every day of the week. Amen? Amen? 
Sometimes we give up and we get, or we get stuck, we stop growing. And oftentimes the reason we do that is, is a fear. And you say, well, what do you mean fear? Well, folks, do you realize how many Christians are out there right now and one of the biggest things that they got going on in their lives is they have a fear of failing, that they're not going to make it up. They, they look at this book and they look, oh my goodness, I, I don't think I could ever live that way. I don't think I could ever do all those things. I just don't. I, I look at this person or that person and oh, they seem like they're all perfect and everything and, and they just give up because they have a fear of failing. Many times they don't even try. But whenever you belong to a safe group, are y'all listening to this? If you're in a small group right now, you guys remember this. What happens in that small group needs to stay in that small group. You become part of a, you, you become part of a safe group that, that you can go into that group and you can go, listen, man, I stink at being a Christian. Can I just ask a question? Would y'all be honest with me by a show of hands? Have any of you in this room ever really stunk at being a Christian? Yeah, everybody has. But so often we're scared to tell somebody that. Oh, man, I don't want to say that because they'll kick me out of the church. You belong to a safe group. It gives you the courage to start and to continue and ultimately to finish. Because that safe group that you're in, man, you start sharing something, man, I, I stink at being a Christian. I stink at this. I stink at that. I'm just not any good at it. There's people who come alongside of you and say, man, I was there a couple of years ago, but this is what helped me. I was there six months ago, but this is what helped me. Let me encourage you. Let me strengthen you. That's what being a part of, of a group is all about. That's why we need people to run this race with us. The sixth thing is this. Remember that God is cheering me at every stage. God's up there going, Ron Watson, Ron! Go, baby, go! Oh, yeah, oh, get up, man, get up! Go! Just had to do it. God is cheering me on, folks. He is cheering me on. He's in my corner. He's rooting for me. Because remember, I was his idea. Y'all out there go, man, he's weird. I was God's idea. I need to realize whenever I'm running this race of life, I'm trying to become that man that he wants me to be. You're trying to become that woman that he wants you to be. God is cheering us on at every stage of life. Some of us have this idea that the only time that God smiles at us is whenever we're doing things right, you know? We're doing right. God, I'm going to church this morning. I didn't really feel like it, but I got up, I got dressed. And man, God's going, oh, sweetie, you're good, man. But then you go out and you get an angry temper flare up and you start cussing the person that just cut you off going down 441 because there's way too much traffic out there. All those out-of-towners. I had to wait for like three cars the other day before I could pull out on South Skeena. And you start cussing at him, and all of a sudden you think, well, God's up in heaven, and he's just got his arms crossed, and he's just angry. He's just, oh, man, I don't know why. You go to church one minute, and now you're like you are. <laughs> Maybe you think, well, I'm going to get to that place where I'm, I'm finally mature. <laughs> I'm finally a mature Christian, and that's whenever God's going to really smile at me. That's whenever God's going to really have time for me. Yeah. 
I will tell you that that is dead wrong. That's not the way God works. I mean, think about this for a minute. Nobody shames a baby for not knowing how to read. Nobody comes to, you know, you carry the little baby in and, you know, you got the little car seat thing and you set it there and you walk up. Do you know how to read? Well, you're dumb. You're the dumbest baby I've ever seen. You don't expect a baby to know how to read. Amen? You don't know, you don't expect that. However, once that baby has gone through a few grades in school, you kind of expect them to get the hang of reading. Amen? We got babies amongst us, folks. We got people that are in the kindergarten and first grade and third grade and seventh grade. In seventh grade, you're not learning calculus yet. Well, some of them are, good Lord. I mean, I was still dividing fractions back in seventh grade. No, I wasn't. I was still doing the times tables or learning to add one or the other. Nobody shames a 10-year-old for not knowing how to drive. You dumb 10-year-old, you ought to be driving by now. You know what's appropriate for that stage of growth, and you bless it. Whenever my grandkids draw stuff for me and bring it to me, you know, it's like, you know, that's perfect. And sometimes it's not. Y'all understand what I'm saying? They're not a Picasso. I'm just saying for the stage of life that they are at in their development, it's okay. God smiles at you at every stage. Come on, man. That's something we can rejoice in, that he's not up there going, man, you're just the dumbest thing i ever seen. He smiles at us at every stage of our development. He's not waiting for you to get to this certain level of material before he says, uh, of maturity before he says, you're okay. Can I make sure we all get this? There's no shame at admitting where we're at in our development. There's no shame in that. I mean, a lot of times we try to fake it. We wear masks and we hide and, 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 and we're ashamed of it. But folks, I tell you this, if you're trying to fake it, you're wasting a lot of energy. Energy that you could use to grow instead of faking it. Amen. Philippians 3.12-14 through 14 says this, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things. This is the Apostle Paul writing this. He said, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I keep working towards that day when I will finally be at all, be all that Christ Jesus saved me for and wants me to be. I am still not all I should be, but I am focusing on all my energies on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I strain to reach the end of the race and receive the prize for which God, through Jesus Christ, is calling us up to heaven. Point number seven. Let me go back to point number six. I think... This is just my opinion, but I'm not so sure if God cheers 
even louder for those people that are really struggling sometimes than he does for those people that may have it together a little bit better. Y'all understand what I'm saying? And, and I, I'll, I'll say this. It's just kind of a comparison. If you've ever had a, a student athlete that you knew, you know, that started out early in their life, maybe you even had a child that started out early in their life, you know, running a race, playing ball or whatever, and, and you know, they were miserable at it to begin with. Usually the parents cheer the loudest for those kids that aren't doing so well. Are y'all there? They're running a race and they're all goofy and you're like, go, back, go, go. But it seems like whenever they grow up and they get really good at it, you don't cheer as loudly for them. Does that make sense? I'm just saying sometimes I think God cheers even louder for those people that are really struggling with some things in their lives. Step number seven. Take every step with purpose. Let me just make a confession here. I've wasted a lot of steps in my 59 years of life. I've wasted them. And I really just have come to a place in my life where I just don't want to waste any more steps. I don't want to waste any more energy. I don't want to waste any more of my words. And I don't want to waste my breath because I know how much, I I don't know how much I have left. Parents, there's times in our lives whenever we say something to our kids and right after they walk out of the room, you realize you've just wasted that breath because they did not hear a word you said. Amen? It's just a waste. You'll never get it back. There's a lot of things that we do in our lives that are just a waste. I don't know how much I've got left. I may be here tomorrow. I may be here next year. I may be here 10 years from now. I don't know but I've made up my mind that I just really don't want to waste any more. Whatever steps that you're going to take, you better do each one of those steps with purpose. You need to be more disciplined. You need to be more self-controlled. You need to take every step, every moment of your life with purpose. Don't waste any step or energy. Be disciplined. If I'm going to take a step, I need to make sure that it's a step of purpose in my life. If you're going to do that, you're going to have to probably deny yourself in a few areas. That goes back to our first one. Declutter your life. Get rid of some things. The Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 9, 25 and 26. All athletes practice strict self-control. They do it to win a prize that will fade away but we do it with an eternal prize. So I run straight to the goal with purpose in every step. I am not a boxer who misses his punches. Hebrews gives us a little bit more advice in 12, uh, verse 12. It says, lift up your tired hands then and strengthen your trembling knees. Keep walking on straight paths so that your lame foot may not be disabled, but instead be healed. Straight paths. I like straight paths, amen? I, I'm not so, not so popular of crooked ways. Don't look for shortcuts in this marathon because there aren't any. Don't look for quick fixes because there aren't any. Stay on that straight, that narrow path and head for the goal. If you do that, your weaknesses that you carry with you, they'll be minimized on that straight path because that straight path, you're you're less likely to stumble. 
And let me just say this. Everybody that's in this race, everybody that's in this race has a little bit of a limp. Y'all remember Billy Graham? Great man of God. Please do not take this as demeaning Billy Graham, okay? Because it's not. I herald him as one of the modern-day apostles uh, that we were, we were, we should be very blessed to have even been a part of his life in any way. But how many of y'all know Billy Graham was not perfect? Amen? He just wasn't perfect. He was a great man of God, no question. But he was running the race with just a little bit of a limp. Number eight, realize what I don't finish, God will. Some of you kids realize this about your parents. <laughs> if they've told you to pick up your room and you just kind of do a halfway job, you've got this in your mind, they'll finish it for me. I'm sorry, kids, I'm, I'm not picking on you. Yes, I am. See, God has said it in his heart to finish or complete your spiritual journey, to complete your character development. He wants you to be like his son, Jesus Christ. In Philippians 1, 6, it says, I am sure that God who has begun the work, the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on that day when Christ Jesus comes back again. Man, one of these days, God's work in me is going to be finished. Amen? Okay, I got even, I got great news. One of these days, God's work in you is going to be finished. I mean, think about that. One of these days, we are, we're not going to have all the problems you and I are walking around with right now. One of these days, we're not going to walk with a limp. Are you all there? And what a day that will be. Man, whenever I can look across the room and I can see you and I can go, man, you're not stupid like you used to be. I'm just joking. It's not anybody in this church. It was a church I used to be at. Our weaknesses are going to be gone one of these days. Our flaws, our, our faults, the blemishes, the addictions, our frailties, our fears, they're all going to be gone. We will be changed literally into perfection. In 1 John 3, 2, it says, Dear friends, we are already God's children, and we can't even imagine what we will be like when Christ returns. But we do know that when he comes, we will be like him, for we see him as he really is. What I don't finish in my lifetime, God's going to finish it. Amen? If I run right up to the edge of that marathon race where I can see the tape in front of me and I'm still limping, I might be limping on both legs. I don't know. I still may have some character issues whenever I hit that ribbon. You know, whenever it, it goes across my chest, I tell you I will be perfect. You will be perfect. He'll finish what he started. You may be someone who struggles in the race, and I can say this with all assurance, we all have struggled in this race. You may be somebody that stumbles in this race, and I can assure you, we all have stumbled in this race. There's been a few times where I've even been on the sidelines of this race. I've got cramped up so bad, I had to step out for a moment and rub that cramp. Is that familiar? I've been there. But this race isn't over. 
this race isn't over. And you know, one of the, one of the heartbeats that I have is that I want this church to be all-inclusive. It's one of the things that I've believed for ever since I walked in the door. I don't want you to come to this church based on how you dress, what your background is, how many piercings or tattoos you have, what color hair you got, what kind of hair you don't have. <laughs> I'm just saying, I, 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 don't, I don't want you to come to this church. I, I don't want you to feel that you can't come to this church because you don't have the right clothes to wear. You don't have the right lingo. Maybe you've never been to church and you feel uncomfortable. I just, I just want you to know that this church, you are called to be here at Trinity. You, you can come here and you will be loved and you will find a place to belong. You will find a place to become what God intends you to be. I just, I just want us to love one another, man. That's, that's what I want. I just, I just want us to give love and give grace and give mercy to one another. The worst thing that happens on this planet is whenever churches fight with each other. That's the worst thing. It's the worst thing. God says that they will know you are my disciples by what? If you have love one for another. So listen, if we put the wrong color carpet or the wrong kind of pews and we're fighting about that, we are idiots. I want this place to be a place people can, can come and belong. Jared, if you'll come and help me close this this morning, I just have a couple more minutes. Small groups are what I believe are the future of this ministry. And it's going to be my goal and Pastor Clinton's goal to get every person in this church involved in a small group. Because I believe that a small group can be a place that is safe, I believe it can be a place that is welcoming. And I believe that it's a place that people can come and be loved and people can come and belong. But I believe a small group is also a place where people can come and become what God has called them to be. Small groups support one another. They help you get up every time you stumble. And man, if you don't think your pastor standing here before you has ever stumbled and had to have somebody come along beside me and pick me up. A few days before I went into full-time ministry, a few days literally before I went into full-time ministry, I had a catastrophic thing happen in my family that literally I felt like disqualified me from being in ministry. I mean, seriously, I felt like it completely disqualified me. And I can remember going into my senior pastor's office and sitting down. And I mean, I'm telling you, I was, a, I was a broken man because I felt like everything that God had done in me, I had totally messed it up. But I had a wise senior pastor. He listened to me. And basically, he told me this. He said, let me tell you what you're going to do. And I'm thinking, I got to move somewhere out of country. <laughs> he said, you're going to go back and you're going to apologize. And then you're going to come back to the job that you've got here at this church and you're going to allow God to make you into what he wants you to be. And I go, is that it? I don't have to shoot myself? I mean, I was, I was devastated. Somebody came along and helped me get back up whenever I had stumbled. And this morning, I could give you time and time again in my own life that that's happened. 
Brothers and sisters that I love and cherish their lives have come and helped me get back up whenever I stumbled. I want Trinity to be a place where people come that want to become. I want to be all that God, all that God wants me to be. I want that. But I also want it for you. As your pastor, let me tell you what, I am committed to helping you finish this race. I'm committed. I want to come alongside of you and help you finish the race. I can tell you this, it's never too late. You're never too old to start running again. Maybe you're in this room and you say, Pastor, I don't know if I've ever started this race because I've really never put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I kind of been living like I wanted to live and doing the things I wanted to do, but I'm not sure if I've ever really got right with God. Well, this morning is a great morning to do that. You say we don't need fancy bells and whistles and the choir doesn't need to sing and angels don't need to come down out of heaven. You see, really all this is about committing your life to Jesus is just basically asking him to come into your life and forgive you, give you a brand new start, and then you get, you get up and start following him. Just believe that Indeed, Jesus came and died for your sins. He was crucified 2,000 years ago for your sins. He paid your punishment. And then on the third day after they had wrapped his body in, in grave clothes and laid him in the tomb, on the third day, Jesus Christ came out of that tomb alive and well. And he is today seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. If you just believe those things, and you will just take a moment and just say, Jesus, I've blown it a lot of times, said a lot of things. I've done a lot of things I shouldn't have done, but today I want to start running the race. Maybe you're in this room and you might've started a few times, but you're over there sitting on the sidelines and now you're not running the race, but you need to be back in the race. This morning's a great opportunity for you to just say, Jesus, I'm, I'm getting up. I'm stripping down to the bare necessities and I'm going to run this race. I'm going to get back involved. If you're in this room this morning and you don't know Jesus, you've never prayed a prayer and asked him to come into your life, I want to pray for you. I want to believe God to do a miracle in your life today of salvation, that brand new born again experience. If you're in this room and you want to get back in the race and you want to run this race because you realize it's the only race that a human should be running, I want to pray for you as well. So right where you're at, would you just bow your head and would you just kind of lock yourself in, close your eyes, nobody looking around if you would, just a very personal, private moment. How many in this room would say, Pastor, uh, that's me. I, I, need, I need to repent. I need to make sure Jesus is the Lord of my life. I've done things, said things, and I know I'm not right with him. That's me. How many in this room would say, I need to get back in the race? I need to get back in the race. Well, right now, with your heads bowed, your eyes closed, you just say a prayer, a simple prayer. God, forgive me. I know Jesus died on the cross. I know he rose again. I know he paid for my sins and I receive his forgiveness. That's all you got to do, a simple prayer. 
I'm going to pray for you. And while I'm praying, I want you to just verbally talk to the Lord and ask him to come into your life and forgive you. Father, in the name of Jesus, you see those, Father, in this room. You see those that are online, Father God, that they need, they need to come to you. They need repentance, Lord God. They need forgiveness. They need to become part of your family. They need to start running this race, Father, and I pray for them. I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, you'll do a miracle in their life this morning. Father, you'll grab a hold of them with that love that you have, that, Father, you pour it out on everybody, Lord God, in measures that we can't even understand. I pray for that love just to envelop their lives, that they know, Father, that they are coming to a good God that loves them and has the very best for their life. And I pray, Father, for those that may have taken a couple of breaks from the race, but now, Father, this morning, they know they need to get back in. They need to start running with all that's in them, Lord. I pray for them as well, that they'll make this decision today to follow hard after you, Lord God, to do the things they need to do, Father, to be the person you've called them to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. My prayer for all of you in this room this morning is for you to become like Jesus. You'll be a lot easier to live with, amen? Amen. God bless you folks. And go out and become, amen?